What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Francis Jane Crosby was born in Putnam or Putnam County, New York, on March 24th, 1820. A doctor wrongly applied something called mustard plaster poultice to her eyes when she was just six weeks years of age and it rendered her totally blind. And for 95 years apart from six weeks, she could not see. In her childhood, people around her began to realize that she was given a unique special gift And even though she could not see with her physical eyes, she could see things others could not see, especially about God. And one day in 1873, she would later be known as Fanny Crosby, and people would call her Aunt Fanny. She was visiting with a friend, and this friend was a musician and the wife of the founder of the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. And during this visit... Her friend, Mrs. Knapp, was playing a tune on, a, on the piano that she recently wrote and arranged. And she looked over at Fanny and she said, what does this tune say? And Fanny began to pray and kneel down for a few moments. And she arose and declared, it says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And we know this song. And it's interesting, there that day, they began to, in fact, Fanny began to dictate to her friend exactly what to write down, and she put it exactly to the tune, and we still sing that song exactly the way that it was originally written in 18 and 73. Fanny Crosby, of course, would would go on to become America's most prolific hymn writer. She wrote over 8,000 gospel songs and hymns during her lifetime, which spanned nearly a century of 95 years. Ironically, she spent nearly all of her life blind, but not even the loss of eyesight would stop her from being a courageous person doing what God has called her to do. This song, Blessed Assurance, goes down to to remind us all that that we can be assured in our faith. We can be confident in our faith. And we can be obedient in our faith because of what God has done for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. And today, the title of my sermon, I want to borrow her words, the title of her song, as the title of my message, Blessed Assurance. And today, as we we come to this scene in, in, in John's little epistle, we know that that John is writing around 90 to 95 AD, almost uh, 
60 years after Jesus was alive and, and he's combating this idea of this early belief system called Gnosticism, how these believers were coming in and they were saying that Jesus wasn't fully God and Jesus wasn't fully man. They were separating his, his full incarnation of God in flesh and they were going around saying that, hey, you can live however you want to live and still name the name of Christ. And John is writing this letter to emphasize two major points as I shared with you last week. God is light and God is love. And now we're in the season here of, about how God is love. But in John's uh, previous verses that we studied last week, we, if you remember correctly, he's, he's writing to them, speaking about how God calls us to love one another. And there's times where we don't always love each other the way that we should. There's times that we don't always obey the word of God as we should. And there are times that our conscience begins to eat us alive. And John, I believe, is writing these verses, verse 19 to 24, to address some of these things. But before we get into this, I want to share with you my key thought for today's message. It's simply this, blessed assurance, blessed confidence, and blessed obedience is only found in Jesus. Today, we're simply talking about Assurance, confidence, and obedience. And the only way to be fully assured, the only way to be fully confident, and the only way to fully obey God is through Jesus. We can't have assurance, we can't have confidence, and we can't have obedience without Him. And today, I want to ask this question. I want to address this question today. How do we respond to a doubting conscience? As we read these verses, it's obvious that, that John has in his mind by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of, of the believers who, who are doubting in their mind that they have been saved because of some of the actions that they have done. We noted in the first chapter of, of this epistle that, that the Bible says that if you say you have not sinned, you're a liar. But, but then John goes on to write in chapter 3 that, that if you say you're a sinner, if you say that you have sinned, you are not a child of God. And so it almost seems like John is, is at one polar opposite spectrum on this field and on this scene. But here we know that, that John is, is combating this idea that, that I can say that I am of Christ and living any other way. And so that obedience to God's word reveals to us that we can be assured in our walk. That, that we know that God is going to answer our prayers and we can be confident going to him in prayer. And that we can be resting assured that the work that Christ did on the cross for us is what gives us that blessed assurance of faith. And so today I want to share with you three thoughts of how we can respond to this doubting conscience. Maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've said something to your wife or your husband or to your child or to your parents or to a loved one or to a friend or a foe or an enemy. And begin, you begin to walk away and your conscience began to eat you alive and say, man, I can't believe I said that or I did that. Can I, am I even a Christian? Well, this is what John is combating here and speaking of. But the first thought I want to share with you comes from verses 19 and 20. The first of three thoughts today. As I read these first two verses of our text, verse 19 and 20 of chapter 3, I think about this. Assured faith is anchored in the word of God. Assured faith is anchored in the word of God. Today, I'm thankful that God has given us his word. 
I'm thankful that the Bible is unlike any other book that has ever been penned or written down throughout the library of time. I'm thankful that, that not only was the Bible the first book that was printed on a printing press, but, but this is the only book that can radically change your life. Recently, we've been going out and sharing the gospel and trying to invite people to church, and, and, and we've been passing out this, the, the, the gospel of John and the book of Romans. And as we're at the doorstep of some of these people's houses, we ask them, have you ever read the Gospel of John? And the vast majority of them say no. And today, I find it interesting that a lot of people claim to know Christ, but they fail to anchor their faith in God's word. And today, John is reminding us today that truth is found in the word of God. And that if you have any kind of doubts about your faith, Listen, security is different than assurance. You see, security is, is, is God has taken care of all those aspects and we can rest assured on what God has done on the cross. Imagine you had a million dollars in cash and, and briefcases and you decided you wanted to buy a huge vault and put it in the vault and you wanted to hire a security guard and a whole security team to protect the money that you have in the vault. That is security. And you have assurance that your security team is going to take care of what's in the vault. And so today, as we think about that, we know that what Jesus has done on the cross has been secured. It is, it is rest assured in a sense as well. And we can fully trust his word. But look, look at this. In, in this verse 19, I want to share this thought with you. Be anchored in God's truthfulness. There is no truth like God's truth. And look at verse 19. It says, and hereby, or, or in other words, the way of saying this is, and this is how we know. This word know gives us idea of, of not just intellectual knowledge, but it gives us idea of intimate knowledge. You have experienced this in an intimate way that we are in the truth or of the truth. And it says, shall assure. This word, say assure with me. Assure, say it again, assure. It, it, it means to be fully and totally convinced of or fully persuaded of. It's interesting, Paul uses the same word in Romans chapter eight when he said, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything or any creature shall be able to separate us from God's love. And the same word there is translated persuaded. And the same word here is translated assured. And so just as we can rest assured that nothing we could ever do and no person could separate us from God's love, we can rest assured here that God has given us his truth. And it says, show assure our hearts before him. So when your conscience begins to eat you alive saying, well, or Satan comes on your doorstep and begins to knock on your door and says, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe you're not a Christian because you're doing this or you're doing that. Or you're thinking this, thinking that, saying this, thinking that, etc." We can rest assured what God's word says. And it says that if you've entrusted Christ, if you've believed on the gospel, you can be saved. You can be delivered from your sins. And so today I want to share with you that we can rest assured more in God's word than any other document in the world. You can walk into the Library of Congress and you can see all the works that have essentially ever been done since we've had a nation and, and even extending back beyond that. And I submit to you today that the word of God, the Bible gives us more assurance about the past, more assurance about the present, and more assurance about the future than even the New York Times or Washington Post or the Roanoke Times. 
And so when your conscience is doubting, rest assured and be anchored in the truth of God's word. But now, let's look at verse 20. As we think about how are we going to respond to a doubting conscience? Well, we know that assured faith is anchored in the word of God and we need to be anchored in God's truthfulness. But, but listen to this. Look at verse 20 in the first part here. I thought about this. Be anchored in God's greatness. Not just his truth, but, but his magnificent greatness. It says, for if. Notice the conditional word here, if. And I, I will adventure to say that at some point in all of our lives, we're going to battle doubt. And this idea of our conscience eating us alive. But it says, for if our heart condemn us. Did you know that God has given us a conscience? And this conscience does point us to the truth of God being creator and right and wrong. But with that being said, a conscience can be conditioned. Have you ever sought out to like run a 5K or a half marathon or a 10K or a marathon? Maybe you never have. Maybe you, maybe you never will. But if you ever decide to do it, the best thing to do is not to go out the first day on race day to walk or run for the very first time 3.1 miles or 6.2 miles or 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles. You need to condition your body and your lungs and, and, and everything, your legs and your, and your mind to get ready for that. And I say that to say this is that similar fashion, a conscience can be conditioned to go astray from what God teaches to be right and to be wrong. For example, a very devout Muslim would be conditioned to believe that, that one of the ways to have the greatest aspects in this place called heaven is for you to be a suicide bomber and kill people. But that is not right. In fact, that is wrong. Somebody who grows up in the Mormon faith would be conditioned to believe that they should not drink coffee because it violates God's word. And I bring these things up to, I know they're a little extreme in our mind, but, but your conscience can be conditioned and that's why it's important that we rest in God's word and when we rest in God's word, when our conscience comes to eat us alive, we need to also remember what Paul said in Romans 8 that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation from God. In fact, Jesus took that condemnation and the wrath of God and hung it on himself on the cross when he died on Mount Golgotha and Calvary. And so here it says, if our heart condemn us, notice what it says here, God is greater than our heart. So if your conscience is being eaten alive and maybe your conscience has been conditioned in a way that is not revealing what is right and wrong in God's word, then it needs to be reconditioned to the truth of God's word and the greatness of God. It is a great thing that God took our condemnation and nailed it to his son on the cross. Remember what John three seventeen says? In fact, I think this should be our theme verse if we ha ever had a theme verse in our church. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's greatness is pretty cool. God's truthfulness is pretty amazing. But this verse, verse 20, goes on to say how he knows all things. Ain't, uh, excuse me, we, we need to be anchored in God's truth and God's greatness, but, but here, listen to this. Be anchored 
in God's omniscience. I'm sorry, I said the wrong word on the uh, PowerPoint there. My fault about that. Be anchored in, God, um, in God's omniscience. We know that God is omnipotent. He is all power. We know that God is omnipresent. That is, he's everywhere at all times. But we also know that God is omniscient. He knows all things. Think about this. There's nothing that God could ever learn because God knows it all. He knows everything about the past. He knows everything about the present. He knows everything about the future. He knows everything about my life. He knows how many hairs we have in our head and how many hairs have fallen out of our head. He knows it all. He knows everything about us. He knows everything that we've ever done. He even knows our motives behind what we have done and what we will do. And we can rest assured that God knows everything about us and that when our conscience might have been preconditioned to believe something that it should not believe starts weighing in us that we can rest that God is the all-knowing God and in his word he's given us the truth and we can rest in his greatness and we can be anchored in his word. You know, a big boat like the Titanic is hard for our minds to fathom how big it was. And in 2020, I went on my first cruise And I remember walking up to this ginormous boat that looked like it was the size of the state of Texas. I mean, it was ginormous, huge. And it was one of the oldest carnival cruise boats that had been made. And it just, I I got my phone, I felt like I was one of those tourists. I (laughs) I was videoing the boat because I thought it was ginormous. And as I was walking up the the way to get into the boat, I, I, I was just so enamored by the vastness of this boat. And we know that these giant boats have anchors. And if somehow the, the engine goes bad, they can throw that anchor down and it'll, it'll rest at the bottom and hold that boat in place when the waves and the storms come and crash. And I want you to know this, that, that just as a boat has that anchor, the storms of this life are gonna sway you to the right and sway you to the left. People are going to start saying, well, this is right and, and this is wrong when, when it could be further from the truth what God's word says. And when all these things start to sway you or try to sway you one way or the other, we need to be anchored in the truth of God's word. And then we'll have assured faith. We'll have that blessed assurance that Fanny Crosby talked about in her song. May I share with you a second thought today? How do we respond to a doubting conscience? Well, assured faith is anchored in the word of God. But, but today we're talking about not just blessed assurance, but also confidence. So the second thought today is this. Confident faith knows every prayer will be answered by God. Confident faith knows every prayer will be answered by God. Look at verse 21. And look at verse 22, or at least the first part of it. Here we see that, that, that John speaks about this kind of thought of being assured in, his, in, in our walk with God as believers. But then he says that we can have confidence in God. This gives this idea of boldness. A similar idea that the writer of Hebrews said, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we can find help and grace in our time of need. He says, beloved, this means my dearly beloved brothers and sisters in the faith. It says, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence 
toward God. In other words, that when our conscience is not eating us alive because it's been swayed one way or the other by somebody who doesn't know the truth of God's word, then we are resting in the truth of God's word. Then we have confidence or boldness towards God. And this is all in the context of prayer. Notice the first part of verse 22 says, and whatever we ask, we receive of him. And so here's a thought I wanna share with you about prayer. Pray with confidence to God. And what I mean by this is that we can march in boldly to this King of Kings and Lord of Lords because we know that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the God of Gods. There is no other God that can listen and hear our prayers throughout scripture. In fact, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah reminded us many times, I believe it, I think it's Isaiah 45 or 46. And he says, there is no other God besides me. There is none else. None. Today, I, I, I'm, I, I don't try to, I'm not trying to be mean or crude or rude about any of this, but, but God is on the throne and there is no room for any other God. Allah has no room on God's platform. Buddha, Confucius, all the others, the list goes on and on and on. The Greek God Zeus or these other Roman pagan gods that, that John was accustomed to has no room for God's throne. And because of that, we can pray with confidence because we know he is God and we know that he is the only God that can hear and answer our prayers. Confidence. So today, as you're thinking about prayer, uh, as Brother Joel was emphasizing this, 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 this morning in, in Sunday school, is that the greatest thing we can do for a lost loved one or a lost friend is to go to God in prayer and, and lift them up to God because he hears. When we have a brother or a sister, we know somebody who's going through a trial, whether it's illness or whatever it is, the best thing we can do is lift that person up to God because we know God can respond. And that leads me to, to another thought here in verse 22. We can pray not just with confidence to God, but we can pray with expectance to God. Not only knowing with confidence that he is a God who hears prayer, but also knowing that we can expect that when we go to this God who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he is going to respond and answer our prayers. So we pray with expectance. Throughout scripture, we see a similar phrase as verse 22. It says, whatever we ask, James said, we have not because we ask not. Jesus said in, in Matthew, I believe it's on the Sermon on the Mount, that, that when you ask, you shall receive. And so here we, we need to be reminded that, that our prayers will never go unanswered. Now, God may not answer our prayers in the way that we want him to answer our prayers, but he promised to always respond and answer them. So we pray with expectance. And today, I, I just want to kind of teach us a little bit about prayer. Because I think throughout the 1900s and, and in, our, in the 2000s, we have got this idea that, that God is like a genie in a bottle. Maybe you've seen the movie or the Disney movie, Aladdin. We get this idea that we're gonna get this little bottle and we're gonna rub the bottle and we're just gonna go to God and, and we're gonna give him our three wishes and whatever we wish, he will have to do. But the reality is, is According to this verse right here, and you begin to think about this verse in, in light of the other times, like in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and 15 and 16 
And in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15, when you begin to see the similar phrase, whatever we ask, we receive of him. We know that sometimes it only says this, but in other times it speaks about how we pray in accordance to God's will and in Jesus' name. So the, the other thought I want to share with you is this. Pray not just with expectance but not, and not just with confidence, but pray in accordance with the will of God. There's this idea of this prosperity gospel that we march in, we march into the throne room. Can you imagine being Queen Esther and marching into King Ahasuerus' throne and just demanding him to do something? No, she could have been killed. Could you imagine being, being John the apostle and marching into Caesar or whatever Roman ruler emperor it was and he marches in there and demands the Roman emperor to do something when, when those emperors and rulers were literally treated as if they were God incarnate? No, you don't do that. You just don't march into the king's court and demand the king to do something. And so in similar fashion, we don't just march into the throne room of God and demand God to do something. There's this idea, false idea within the prosperity gospel. It's like this health and wealth that God is going is to do this and going to do that. He's going to make everybody healthy and wealthy. Not always the case. Then, then this other idea of of name it and claim it. They go to this verse in, in the Gospels where it says that if you walk over this mountain and you say be removed, it shall be removed. Well, I, let me ask you something. I, double dog, I triple dog dare you to go to the base of Mill Mountain at Walnut Avenue right there at, at Blue Cow Ice Cream and I double dog dare you or triple dog dare you or whatever you want to say and look up to the star and I want you to, to shout it out, be removed in Jesus' name. And if I was a betting man, I'd bet everything that I own that that mountain will not remove and be moved. I know that's an extreme example, but the idea is simply this. We pray, first of all, in faith that God will hear and answer our prayers. And then secondly, we pray in accordance and in line with God's will. I heard a preacher say one time that, that one, of the, one of the ways that we pray with lack of faith is at the end of our prayer, tagging this thing, and if it be your will, O oh God. I submit to you, that is not a lack of faith. That is a faith-filled prayer that we go to God knowing that God is gonna hear my prayer. He's gonna answer them. But we also realize that God has declared the end from the beginning. God knows all things about the past, present, and future. And when we pray, we've got to pray in accordance and in line with God's sovereign plans. And this is seen all throughout scripture. In fact, in, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, similar words here, it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so let's not get caught up in this name it and claim it health and wealth prosperity gospel about prayer. Boldly go to God in prayer because we know he answers. But then we need to be submissive to his will, however he responds, yes or no. Confident faith knows every prayer will be answered by God. Assured faith is anchored in the word of God. But lastly today, in the last part of verse 22 down to verse 24, obedient faith submits to every commandment of God. Obedient faith submits to every commandment of God. Remember, John is writing here to these believers. They're 
conscience is, seems to be leading them one way or the other, a little, a little astray. Their hearts are being uh, condemning themselves. And, and John is saying, hey, listen, the way to overcome this is to rest assured that, that you believe that, do you believe that Christ is the son of God? Are you obeying the word of God? Now, this does not mean that we're gonna stumble, never stumble and fall because we will. And when we do, we confess that sin. We ask God to forgive us. But here, the idea here in this last section here is that, that when we are praying to God and we have this idea that we're guarding or keeping his law and his word and his commandments and we're doing the things that are pleasing and right in his eyes, it gives this idea that, that and we're praying in alignment with God's will and we're praying in faith that he's gonna respond, then God is going to hear and answer our prayers. In other words, God knows the motive and behind our prayer. Look at verse 22 and the first part of 23. I think about this. Submit to God's command of salvation. Here we see in verse 22, extending this idea that whatever we ask to receive of him. And the reason why, he says, because we keep. Now this word keep, would you say it with me? Keep, say it again. Keep, one more time, please. Keep. This gives this idea of, of guarding. And just like as I shared with you earlier, we have a security guard team and they're guarding the safe full of money. But here the idea is, it goes further than that, that we're guarding his word in our hearts so that we can live it out every single day. And it goes on to say, and we're gonna do those things that are pleasing in his eyes. And then check it out now. In verse 23, he says, this is the commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Submit to God's command of salvation. This is the general call that God has given to all humanity to put your faith in Jesus, to repent of your sins, to cry out to God for salvation and to ask him to step into your life and change you and redeem you and reconcile you with a holy, righteous, just God. Here it says the word believe. This word believe, it literally means here, listen, it literally means to put your faith in, to entrust. And so it gives this idea that we are going, that, that we've been called to put our faith and trust in the son of God and what he did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. That is the gospel, that Jesus died in our place when we should have died. And that he defeated death, hell, and the grave by rising again. And all those whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, this is a general call that God has to all humanity, past, present, and future. Summoning all to come to repentance. And we know not all will come to faith. But when God begins to step into our lives and in a sense... We thought we found God, but in reality, God found us and he saved us. And here, it gives us idea here that, that these believers were the ones who've already put their faith and trust. And he's just reiterating this thing that, that we should believe, we should put our faith in the name. This is the only name, Paul, not Paul, but Peter said in, in Acts chapter four, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Submit to God's command of salvation. Now, if you're here today and you've never cried out to God for forgiveness, you've never asked him to save you by his good grace and by his mercy, today there's nothing that you could ever do to earn it. In fact, Titus is, is receiving a letter by Paul and he says, not of works that we have done, not of works of righteousness that we have done, 
but according to his mercy, he has saved us. As we think about this, we know the Bible goes on to say here, it says in love one another as he gave us commandment. And another way we can submit to God's command is not just his command of salvation for all humanity to come to faith, but, but the other command is submit to God's command of compassion. Remember, the theme here in the second half of 1 John is love one another. And let's be honest, there's times where we don't want to love one another. There's times where we don't want to like each other. There's times, in fact, that we want to hate each other because of the way they said this or the way they did that. But here, the Bible says that that he's commanding us to entrust Christ alone for salvation and then to go out and to love people the way God has loved us with that selfless, sacrificial, sympathetic love. Let me ask you something. Are we displaying compassion to those around us? Are you loving your family members, your fellow brothers and sisters here in, in our church family, your coworkers, your peers, whatever? Are you loving them the way that God loves you? Now, I remind you all, we can't do that on our own. In fact, you could live your entire life trying to, to be the nice person and, and do good to all those and to love them, but, but eventually you're gonna fall, you're gonna f- fall short of what God has called us to do. And the only way we can do this is by the power of, of God living and residing in us. And so today, if you've, if you've never experienced the salvation in Christ, then there is no way you could ever love anybody the way God loves us. And then in verse 24, obedient faith submits to every commandment of God. And this is the command of salvation, the command of compassion. And then here in verse 24, we see the command of consecration. Submit to God's command of consecration. Look at verse 24. It says, and he that keepeth. In other words, the same word earlier back in verse 22. A guarding, in other words, we're guarding this command in our heart in such a way that we're going to live it out in our lives. And dwell. Dwell here is the same exact word that is translated abide, abideth later on in the next statement here. This idea that we're going to continually dwell, we're going to continually abide in him and he in us. And then it says, hereby or this we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. In other words, here is this idea of consecration. That the moment Jesus steps in, the moment that we are saved and redeemed, the Holy Spirit of God seals us. And we have a, an immediate consecration. We've been immediately set aside. We've been immediately separated from those who are unbelievers. But then we live a life for the rest of our lives in Christ, trying to live more and more like he lived. We can't do that on our own power. And so John is telling these believers that Hey, at some point we might all experience doubt. But the way to overcome doubt is to remind yourself, has there been a time in your life that you've entrusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you put your faith in Him and Him alone for your salvation? 
And then he's saying, hey, we, we know that, that if you cried out to God and prayed and he, and he saved you, then we know that God hears us and he answers. And then, and then the idea of obedience. Are you obeying, obeying God's word? This doesn't mean we're not gonna fall and stumble, but, but Satan tries to step into our life and say, hey, because you might've slipped up and said that, or because you might've did this, that he's gonna try to say, hey, you're not really a believer. You're, you're gonna be dragged down to hell with all the rest of us. That we are to use these things here, these verses, to give us that blessed assurance. Did you hear about that lawyer? A defendant was on trial for murder. There was a strong evidence indicating guilt, but there was no corpse to be found. And the defense's clothing, closing statement, excuse me, the lawyer, knowing his client probably would be convicted, resorted to trickery. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you all, the lawyer said as he looked at his watch. Within one minute, the person presumed dead in this case will walk into this courtroom. He looked toward the courtroom door. The jurors, somewhat stunned, all looked on eagerly. One minute passed and nothing happened. Finally, the lawyer said, actually, I made up the previous statement. But you all looked on with anticipation. Therefore, I put you, I put to you that you have a reasonable doubt in this case as to whether anyone was killed and insist that you return a verdict of not guilty. The jury, clearly confused, retired to deliberate. A few minutes later, the jury returned and pronounced a verdict of guilty. But how, inquired the lawyer? You must have had some doubt. I saw all of you stare at the door. The jury foreman replied, oh, we looked, but your client didn't. <laughs> As we think about that, we know that doubt is going to creep into your life as a believer. And Satan's gonna try to exploit that doubt. But when you encounter doubt and a false convicting conscience, rest assured in what God has said in his word. Listen, blessed assurance, blessed obedience, and blessed confidence is only found in Jesus. What's up guys, Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.